0: Last Sunday, we'll be talking about Christmas uh, for a while as well. And this Christmas, we've been talking about this idea that the coming of Jesus is really an exchange where everything gets to change in us, right? That's the gift. We looked at Zachariah and how his frustration was changed to hope, And we looked at how Mary and how her feelings have been overwhelmed were turned to being overjoyed. And last week we looked at the shepherds and how their worry was turned to wonder. On this final Sunday of Christmas as we're talking about it, I want to look at one big transformation, one big exchange that captures the whole Christmas story. And that's that in the coming of Jesus, in the incarnation of Jesus, God showed us another way that we don't get to him and know him and understand him through this thing that we call religion but that we can know Him, love Him, follow Him, serve Him, worship Him in the context of relationship. The transformation, the exchange that I want to talk about today is the difference between following God in a religious way and following God in a relational way. And there are a few more characters whose lives I want to look at who in this time made that shift from viewing God through the eyes of religion to seeing Him through a heart of relationship. Often relationship with God can look a lot like religion with God. Sometimes the practices look pretty similar. Sometimes the paradigms can feel and seem the same. But the big difference between religion and relationship is about proximity. Religion says, God, you're there and we're here and there's a lot of stuff we've got to do to get to know you. Relationship says that God in heaven has come down to us in love, through love, for love, so that there need be no barrier or distance between us. Today I want to talk about the exchange from religion to relationship, arguably the greatest message of Christmas. As we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, I want to continue and finish there by looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Is where we'll start. We'll talk about Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem. We'll talk about this guy called Simeon. We'll talk about this lady called called Anna. All of them went through this transition, this exchange from being very religious to entering into relationship with God. Jesus is eight days old. And Mary and Joseph have gone to Jerusalem to present the Lord to the Lord. That sounds kind of strange, but that's what they were doing. And there were lots of reasons why they were doing it. Probably because in this moment when they were so scared, they had so many questions, they were so overwhelmed, religion was something very helpful for them to hang on to. And so we read that when they got to Jerusalem, they engaged in three very religious acts. First was that after eight days were completed, Jesus was circumcised and given his name. It says this was the name given by the angel. This was the the first religious ordinance. And it was important for them to do because they needed to hold on to something. All baby boys were circumcised on the eighth day. All children were named on the eighth day. There are lots of reasons for waiting eight days to do that. Some just simple health reasons that if the baby could survive eight days, then there was more of a chance they were going to make it. One of the reasons was that if a child survived eight days, they would have experienced at least one Sabbath when there would have been some space for them to worship God. It was a religious ritual that was done in this this society and is still done in the Jewish culture today. Religious activity number one, check. They got to Jerusalem, verse 22, and when the days of their purification according to the laws of Moses were finished, which was 30 days, They brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Again, presenting the Lord to the Lord. It says in verse 23, just as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. This second religious act where they presented the Lord to the Lord was called the redemption of the firstborn. And we first read about it with uh, Hannah in the Old Testament, uh, who was desperate to have a a child. And when she had a child, the promise that came with it was that, God, if you give me this child, I'll give it back to you. And so she she dedicated it to, to God. It's the second religious act that's taking place 30 days after that in Jerusalem. And they're dedicating the baby to the Lord. There was some, some cost involved that they would give a little gift to the temple. Um, but they were saying, God, we'll look after this child, but really this child is a gift from you and this child belongs to you. The importance in this uh, sacrament, in this religious rite... Is that the parents are understanding something that that we need to understand more? That the children we have are a gift from God. They belong to God. They're on loan from God. I was talking with Scott about this the other day, and many of you know Scott. He's got a wonderful relationship with God and a a rich understanding of religious practice. And he was telling the story of how when his daughter got married and the, the pastor asked, Who gives this girl to be married? Rather than saying her mother and I, he says, uh, I believe that this is what God wants as we steward the child. Because he's saying that parenting is a stewardship. And that's what this this second religious ritual is, is highlighting. In verse 24, it mentions a third one. Well, it doesn't mention it, it kind of implies it, and it implies it in a way that shows us perhaps there is more to how we know God than just religion. Jesus had fulfilled the uh, religious circumcision ceremony that that offered him to God. The, The next ceremony, another 10 days later, 40 days in, was that the lady, the mother, would have been made pure so that she could go into the temple again, By offering a sacrifice. Now, the normal sacrifice that you would bring would be a a lamb, right? Or at least that's what the rich people did. But it says here that they sacrificed a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And it's interesting that the turtle doves and the pigeons are what the poor people sacrificed, Mary and Joseph, as we know, were were, were poor people. They, They didn't have too much. But what's really interesting here is that even though they're following the letters of the religious law, when they're in a place that they can't fulfill the letter of the religious law, there is a provision in the religious law to help them. And I think that tells us something profound. That God is not so much interested in the letter of the law as much as he is the desire of the law and the spirit of the law that we would connect with him, not necessarily through the religious means, but through relational means. Does that make sense? So they're fulfilling all the religious tasks. One, two, three. They're checking them off, but they can't quite fulfill the third one because they're poor folk. And so God makes a provision, and that tells us something profound about the law. God does not put the law in place that it's a standard that we aspire to. God bends the law to meet us because he wants relationship with us. Does that make sense? When we were doing our neighbor-to-neighbor project, sitting down with code enforcement, And we're talking about the project and the homes that we can conserve and uh, we're talking about um, what it would take to drop the fines that these homes have and it's a very involved process. But the code enforcement manager says that shouldn't be too much of a problem because we don't fine people because we need the money. We fine people so that they can kind of have some uh, weight of responsibility to, to fix their property. What, what he's saying there is that the, the actual fine in itself isn't the most important thing, but the law exists to help us. Does that make sense? It's like, has anyone ever got a speeding ticket? <laughs> Just you, Alan? Just, uh, it's, it's all right. We are a speeding ticket kind of church. It's, 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 it's who we are, right? And when you get one, you know, the, the, the kind of throwaway jokey line is, well, there you go. That lined their pockets a little bit, right? Not, 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 not true at all, right? The the, the money from our speeding tickets doesn't go into the operating budget of the police department, right? The fine that we pay is not to help them, it's to help us, right? Because it hurts us and it's supposed to help us drive better. The same thing is happening in this religious ritual. The purpose of the law is not to fulfill the law so that we can climb up with God. The purpose uh, of what God is doing here is to have relationship with us. God is saying the law is not the most important thing here. Relationship is. Does that make sense? And we get this first indication that the religious law bends before a relational God. The religious law bends before a relational God because God is not most uh, excited and keen that we fulfill every letter of the law. He knows we ruined that a long time ago. He's most keen that we have relationship with him. So he makes provisions in the law for our brokenness that we can come and meet him and find him and have relationship with him even when we're not perfect. Does that make sense? That's good news. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Religious law bends before a relational guide. So they're in the temple. Verse 25, it says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was very righteous and devout. You could interpret that by saying that he was very religious. He was in the temple every day. He knew the right things to do. He knew the right things to say. He was so devout that his heart was even bending the right way, that he had this this passion for God. It says he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Consolation means uh, settled. That there's a there's an issue that hadn't been settled. There was a problem that was real that needed to be settled. Simeon had been re- using his religious practice. I'd had many religious people in that day to try and settle the issue of sin and brokenness and unrest in Israel. But Simeon was about to discover... That it is not religious practice that brings us the consolation that our hearts desire. It is relationship with God that does. The Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him that which was customary under the law, Simeon took him under his arms and praised God for him. Does this feel a little bit weird to you? Right? You take your child into church. You do the thing. This strange old religious man comes and picks him up and starts worshiping him. That would be very strange if that happened today. And if it did happen today, um, I, I think I'd be very involved with whoever was picking the baby up and having some, some strong words um, pretty, pretty quickly. But Simeon has got this promise that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Other versions of the scriptures say and insinuate that once he did see the Messiah, he would die. So in some ways for Simeon to hold the baby Jesus carried a lot of weight because he knew that once he did it, it would signal the end of his life. But it says that he was searching. He was was wanting it. He had received this word that God was going to do something through him, and that once that thing was satisfied, then he had no more purpose to live. But rather than shy away from that promise, rather than hide in the back room of the temple, which I might want to do just to prolong my life, right? He goes to the temple every day looking for Jesus. Because somewhere, probably when the Holy Spirit spoke to him, he had made this transition from simply being a very religious man to wanting this relationship with Jesus, this relationship with God. And this relationship with God was so important to him That he was prepared to hold the baby Jesus, even though it meant that his life was going to end very soon. Think about that. That's pretty crazy, right? If someone said to me, hey, Andy, there's a guy uh, at uh, Denny's, and I want you to go and tell him about Jesus. And when you tell him about how great Jesus is, he's going to give his life to Christ. He's going to turn his life around. His family will be fixed. It's a beautiful story. But as soon as you leave, then your life will be done. I'd like to think I'd go to Denny's. (laughs) But sometimes I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. That was the dilemma, though, that was facing Simeon. He was this religious man who was devout and holy, and he'd done all the religious practices, but something got a hold of him. Something wasn't quite clicking and fulfilling him in religion that pushed him to take this relational risk to say, God, I want you more than I want life. There's this old song that Billy Graham's team used to sing uh, and it's just a beautiful song, and it said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than all this world beholds. That was Simeon's prayer. He was saying, I got it all together religiously, but religion isn't enough. I want to see this baby. I, I want to hold this baby. I want relationship with this God. And therefore, in a very real way, he sacrificed his life to have relationship with God. That was most important to him. The first part of the story tells us that religion, religious law bends before a relational God. Simeon's life tells us that religious life bows to a relational longing. All the religious practice in the world will not satisfy you. It is relationship with God that meets the deep, deep need in our soul. So he holds the baby Jesus. 28. He took him in his arms and he praised God and he said, Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. You know what he's saying? I've fulfilled everything that you had for me. Therefore, I can go in peace. You know, God, now I'm holding this baby. There's nothing else that this world has for me because I've met Jesus. I've entered into relationship with God. My eyes have seen your salvation. That's a phrase that's used a a lot in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. We talk about it today when someone comes to to meet Jesus, but it's not just his eyes that have seen salvation. He's feeling the the breath of salvation on his face because they're they're so close. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. This child, this God, this relationship is for Everyone. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. What's he saying here? To those who don't know, Jesus is good news. To those who are looking, Jesus is the fulfillment of hope. Verse 33. His mother and father were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and spoke to the mother Mary. Again, this is where Simeon broke social convention. And if I was Simeon, I would probably just, uh, you know, have my moment with God holding the child. I'd say thank you and bless Mary and Joseph, and then I'd leave. But he decides to go a little further. Because he's now in this relationship with God way beyond just religious practice. And what happens here is that religious protocol breaks before religious, before relational truth. Let me explain what I, I mean with that. Religion has a protocol, right? Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. You fit here. Mold yourself into this place so that you can be a part of things. In some ways, Simeon should have just blessed and left. But he stays and he says something very hard to Mary and to Joseph. He says, indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul because the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You know, you got this beautiful uh, Hallmark movie moment going on, right? Where they're they're worshiping Jesus. The promise has been fulfilled. It's sad because in a minute he's going to die, but he's going to die satisfied. But rather than end the the movie there, rather than just walk away, he says some really hard words. Oh, by the way, Mary, your son is really going to tick some people off. As many people who like him, there'll be equally as many, if not more, who hate him. Just what every mother wants to hear, right? By the way, this son of yours that you're cradling in your arm and full of awe and amazement about, well, one day he's going to pierce your soul. He's going to break your heart. I think he's probably talking about the moment when Mary saw her son Jesus on the cross. Again, it's not particularly a pleasant message to a a new mother, right? It says, "Here's here's the really bad news that's really going to annoy people, is that Jesus is going to reveal many hearts. Man, that would have broken Mary's heart too, because nobody likes having their heart revealed, right? In fact, so much of our religious practice is done to protect our heart from being revealed. But when we're in relationship with God, our heart is revealed and none of us like that. You know, I want to say 100% it is not going to happen like this. But some of us have this impression that on judgment day, God is going to play a video of all of our sins in front of everybody. It's not going to happen like that. But that's a very religious understanding of God, and and many of us fear that because we don't want our hearts to be exposed. But when we're in relationship and when we're loved and we know we're in a caring, loving relationship where the person or where God is for us, then we can stand for our heart to be revealed, right? He says Jesus is going to do that. Some people will like it. Some people will hate it. It's a tough message that he's giving to Mary and Joseph, but he does it because religious protocol breaks before relational truth. Does that make sense? If you know you're loved, you don't have to go through the motions. If you know you're loved, you don't have to try and achieve love because you've already got it. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about us working our way up. It's about God working his way down. The religious law bends before a relational God. The religious life bows to a relational longing. Religious protocol breaks before relational truth. And then as this lady finally, Anna. It says in verse 36, Anna was a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. So she was widowed for 84 years. She was with her husband for seven years. She probably got married as a teenager. It's fair to say that she was probably in her early hundreds here. She did not leave the temple. She served God night and day with fasting and prayers, which is really remarkable when you think about it. She, she'd been doing that for 80-odd for years. She'd experienced great loss and great suffering, but great loss and suffering can either make us bitter or angry, or we can use it to help make us better. She turned her pain to help her get better in her relationship with God by pursuing religious practices, right? Verse 38. At that very moment, just after Simeon had handed the baby back, she came up and she began to thank God for this baby. She'd been going to the temple for 80 years. You know, she was the, the church lady on steroids, right? <laughs> Everything that happened in the church, she knew about it. She, she, she knew when the, uh, the the cutlery wasn't in the drawer properly, right? She, she was this lady. She'd been there, done it, seen it all. But then she saw something she'd never seen before, and it was Jesus, and it turned her life upside down. And she started to thank God because she knew that what they'd been looking for had now come. What she'd been striving for was now actualized and realized in Jesus. And it says she thanked God... Then I imagine she left pretty quickly because there's no suggestion that she lingered. And she went to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Something changed in her once she saw Jesus. I don't think she abandoned her religious practices because some of those religious practices feed relationship with God, right? Prayer and worship. But rather than just being the church lady, she became an evangelist. She started telling everybody that was interested that she had met Jesus that she had uh, seen the one who gave life. You know, when we're in a relationship that we're excited about, we can't help but tell people, right? She's just living out that same practice. She's not just doing her private religious duty that checks some boxes for her. She's living in relationship with God because religious practices, if Christ is at the center, birth a relational response. Let me share again how I'm reading this story. The religious law bends before a relational god the religious life bows to the relational longing that we all have religious protocol breaks before the relational truth she tells the whole story and religious practice must birth from us a relational response that we're so excited about this news that as we sung about earlier, we go tell it on the mountains. Over the hills and far away, that's what the church lady did. There are lots of exchanges at Christmas. From frustration to hope, that was Zachariah. From being overwhelmed to overjoyed, That was Mary. From being worried to being full of wonder, that was the shepherds. But the greatest exchange that takes place at Christmas comes regarding how we know God. We now know Him not through religious pursuits, but we can now know Him Relationally, as a friend, as a brother, as a savior. I hope 2020 isn't frustrating or overwhelming or worrisome. But I also hope that 2020 isn't particularly religious for you. Instead, I hope that this next new year is full of the life and vibrancy and joy that comes from relationship with God.